This is an AMI podcast. Welcome to Voices of the Walrus on AMI-audio, where professional readers give voice to articles from Canada's best general interest magazine. I'm your host, Roger Ashby. What Canada can learn from Germany's daycare revolution? Paul Berry reads Child Care for All by Sadia Ansari. Sadia Ansari is an award-winning journalist based in Berlin. This is an article titled Child Care for All by Sadia Ansari. When Katrin Bach-Famula looked for a daycare option for her one-year-old, she was called a Rabenmutter. Literally, it means raven mother, a derogatory term for those who return to work too early, like ravens who push their progeny out of the nest before they can fly. This was in 2000, when there were no daycare spots for children under three in the small German town of Melle, where Bach-Famula lived. But just 30 kilometers away in Bielefeld, the city where she worked as a university researcher, many colleagues had children the same age as hers in care. When she got a group of parents together to request funding from the town of Mella to support such a center, however, she got a terse response. They said no, it was not necessary. In fact, she was told that as an academic couple, she and her husband should be able to afford private care. Bach Famula kept pushing, and the reaction was fierce. Opponents argued in the local paper that children under three who attended daycare would be psychologically damaged, she remembers, more likely to become addicted to drugs when they were older. You permanently had the feeling that you are a bad mother if you wanted to work, says Bach Famula. Government policy at the time was designed for traditional households with male breadwinners, assuming that women would stay home with young children for the first three years. That contributed to Germany having one of the lowest birth rates in the region and a high rate of women either working part-time or not returning to work at all after having a child. But that was quickly becoming inconsistent with societal shifts towards supporting working mothers. The opposition to her proposal was particularly confusing for Bach Famula, a senior expert in early childhood education at the Bertelsmann Foundation think tank, since she knew the federal government was looking for ways to expand child care access. Changing Bach Famula's situation took convincing a local provider to expand his daycare center to include spots for just three children under three and working with other parents to start their own center to ensure ongoing access. Changing the situation for families across Germany took a federal election, new legislation, and a battle in court. Over the past 20 years, huge social and policy changes have significantly remade child care in Germany. Angela Merkel led a newly formed coalition government that expanded federal support for daycare in 2005. Then, in 2008, the Child Care Funding Act was passed, granting parents with children over the age of one the legal right to subsidized daycare spots beginning in 2013. This was backed with robust funding the federal government committed the equivalent of nearly $4 billion to support states in expanding daycare capacity over the five years ahead of the law coming into effect. There was also a commitment to fund ongoing costs, $1.1 billion per year since. While this investment substantially expanded access, it was enshrining the right to child care in law that changed the game for parents. 
In 2016, a federal court affirmed this right when three mothers from Leipzig sued their city for not providing daycare spots for their children. The court ruled that the city had to pay damages to the parents for income lost when their inability to place their kids in daycare made it impossible for them to work. It makes a huge difference if families know they can sue the government in order to get this right, says Agnes Bloma, a postdoctoral fellow in political science at Freie Universität Berlin. They have a very different standing. Today, many Canadians hope that this country is on the brink of a similar transformation. Fifty years after the Royal Commission on the Status of Women recommended a national, government-funded childcare plan, Justin Trudeau's Liberals pledged to deliver one in their 2021 budget. They have promised to make a long-term investment to support families, forging agreements with provinces and territories to fund $10-a-day childcare across the country by the 2025-26 fiscal year. While provinces and territories set childcare policy, the federal government is pushing change through bilateral funding agreements. The feds can't unilaterally tell provinces to reduce daycare fees, but they can attach conditions to the influx of money offered up to reach this goal. Each province or territory has its own agreement. The broad goal is to bring fees down to $10 per day, but the way each jurisdiction pursues this may vary. For instance, the agreement with Nova Scotia says funding is for regulated, full-time spaces for kids under 6, while the agreement with Manitoba says fees for kids under 7 will be $10 per day. Canadians have seen attempts at a national child care plan before. Paul Martin's Liberals put one in place only to see Stephen Harper's Conservatives scrap it. This points to one big constraint on child care policy in Canada. It is a policy subject to changes in political winds and existing only conditionally. It can be, and has been, undone by a subsequent government. As Canada embarks on a new push for child care, what can we learn from a country very much like ours, a highly urbanized, high-income federation whose national government funds a program that states and municipalities are responsible for delivering, that is years ahead in pursuing this goal? And what can we glean about the potential pitfalls and how to avoid them? Canadian parents spend on average a quarter of their income on childcare. Before their new agreements with the federal government, just four jurisdictions in Canada, Manitoba, Quebec, Prince Edward Island, and Newfoundland and Labrador, had set fees that covered at least half of their childcare spots, keeping costs somewhat in check. Other provinces and territories reduced fees for particular groups, subsidizing low-income or single parents, for instance, though these programs fall short of what families need. With the lowest regulated child care fees of any province or territory in Canada, Quebec has seen parents access child care at the highest rates in the country, both preceding and during the COVID-19 pandemic. At 78% in 2019 and 75% in 2020. But outside of Quebec, high fees are a driving force in how likely parents are to stop using childcare, write David MacDonald and Martha Friendly from the Canadian Centre for Policy Alternatives, CCPA, in their annual childcare survey of 11,000 providers in 37 cities across Canada. Parents with children under three are most likely to say they have difficulty accessing care, according to Statistics Canada, 
with 59% reporting that affordability is the issue. Fees for children under 18 months are the highest, ranging from a median of $181 per month in Quebec to $1,866 per month in Toronto. An annual cost of over $22,000 a year, this represents nearly half of the average income in Toronto. Costs for toddlers, who range from 18 months to 3 years old, aren't much lower, the CCPA report found. Toronto leads again, with median monthly childcare fees of $1,578. The GTA as a whole is not far behind, and Richmond, B.C. follows at $1,300. Cost isn't the only constraint. Even where fees are more affordable, securing a spot can be tough. Before the pandemic, 596,612 kids under 6 in Canada had a regulated childcare spot. That's about 27%. Access across the country is uneven. Only 16% of kids in this age group had a spot in Saskatchewan versus 42% in Quebec. COVID-19 complicated access further as some centres shuttered, one of many factors contributing to falling rates of children under 6 in care between 2019 and 2020. Childcare across Canada falls into two broad categories, regulated and unregulated. Regulated care includes daycare centres and home childcare by licensed providers, while unregulated care covers everything else care by a babysitter, family member, or nanny. Because these are informal arrangements, it's tough to reliably estimate the number of kids in this kind of care. Since childcare is under the jurisdiction of provinces and territories, each has its own approach. But they broadly have landed in the same place, a mix of for-profit and not-for-profit spaces, rather than government-run facilities. Nearly two-thirds of facilities are not-for-profit with for-profit care making up most of the rest. Unlike in Germany, there is no entitlement to a child care spot, and as a result, child care is seen as a private responsibility, one that parents are left to figure out on their own. Herline Cor Aurora and her partner, who live in Toronto, are trying to game out the timing of having a second child. Even with two stable jobs, they can't afford the roughly $2,000 per month for a second daycare spot. One year of this fee is equivalent to tuition at a college or university for a number of years, she says. Aurora feels lucky to have found a spot for their first child at all. When she started to share the news that she was pregnant in January 2020, the first thing friends and family often responded with was, have you put yourself on a list for daycare? Aurora did a few daycare visits right before the first lockdown hit. Afterward, she called centers in her neighborhood to be put on a list. Aurora's daughter was born in June 2020, and the following March, it occurred to Aurora that she hadn't heard back from any of the centers she had spoken to the previous year. She was excited to get back to work the next May, but as she started following up, all five centers she inquired at told her there was no space for her daughter. The most expensive option, a private, for-profit center, said it could give her a spot in September. Not only was it several hundred dollars more every month than the most affordable option in their area, it also meant that Aurora had to take four months of unpaid leave as she waited for her child's spot to open. In B.C., subsidies have helped Karen Weir with the cost of care, especially as a single parent. But finding childcare for her youngest was a struggle in Prince George, 
where only 26% of kids under 5 have a spot, according to a 2018 CCPA report. The report found that 776,000 children across the country live in childcare deserts, postal codes where there are at least three children for each childcare space. Some of the lowest rates of access were in places as varied as Saskatoon, Brampton, and Kitchener, each of which has just one space for every four to five children. Muir lucked out when a new daycare center opened up across town and took both her eight-month-old Ellie and her two-year-old Amelia. The cost was high, $1,600 for each child, but provincial subsidies brought it down to $1,250 a month for both. Then, just a few months after it opened, it shut down temporarily in November 2020, and Muir was freaking out. She enlisted her mother's help full-time that winter, but her mother had to return to her farm in Vanderhoof, an hour outside of Prince George, for calving season in March. Muir ran through a list of possibilities, working at home with a one-year-old and a three-year-old, sending them to live with their grandparents for a few days every week, or quitting her job and relying on social assistance. Every option was bleak. Muir says that the additional consideration for me was I'm losing years in the workforce, which weighed on me because I know that as women, we are penalized for those years out of the workplace. Right under the wire, Muir found a center that would take both Ellie and Amelia, one they have been able to stay at since. It was a huge relief. But the next round of stress is around the corner. Her eldest is now on a wait list for after-school care for when she starts kindergarten in September. And the center has already suggested that Ellie, who isn't even three yet, get on a list for that, too. The federal government, for its part, has recognized that the high costs and lack of access associated with childcare are keeping women out of the labor market. Last year, in addition to the childcare investment, the Liberals announced a more modest investment in early childhood education to meet the growing demand for educators, which will presumably only accelerate as costs come down. The government will also continue to invest $2.5 billion over the next five years with Indigenous partners through the Indigenous Early Learning and Child Care Framework, which was created in 2018 to develop culturally appropriate care. The government frames it as a hat trick, creating child care jobs, enabling mothers to work, and investing in the next generation. Within Canada, Quebec is a model of success. Two decades after the province implemented low-cost, set-fee care in 1997, the proportion of employed women with children under 5 went from 64% to 80%. More women work in Quebec compared with the rest of Canada, 85%, on par with the highest rates of women working globally. According to Université du Québec à Montréal, Professor Emeritus of Economics, Pierre Fortin. But... Two decades on, there are areas where the Quebec model has yet to deliver. Far too few children receive education and care of good to excellent quality, and far too few disadvantaged children access the good part of the system and have their special needs attended, Fortin wrote in a 2017 report to the House of Commons. Improving quality in general and better responding to the needs of disadvantaged children in particular should be the foremost priorities for the future development of the Quebec system. Across Canada, many want a system that will do more than just create childcare spots. Advocates are calling for a system that provides quality early childhood education, 
that compensates staff fairly in a notoriously underpaid field that is made up of 95% women, and that provides culturally competent care. The German experience proves that large-scale policy transformation is possible, but not without investment and staunch commitment to match. After two decades of policy change, the average cost of childcare in Germany is now equivalent to about $260 per month, and the federal government is looking to reduce this even further. Access to childcare is backed by a legal guarantee, one tested by that landmark 2016 court ruling, which confirmed that the onus is on cities to ensure there are sufficient childcare spots. The results of this investment are already visible. Across the country, daycare participation rates of children under 3 have grown from 37.4% in 2009 to 64.3% in 2020. The country has also seen an increasing number of women working and an increased birth rate. As in Canada, even though Germany's federal government contributes to childcare funding, it cannot dictate the terms, leaving implementation to states and municipalities. The country's 16 states all have different approaches to allocating funds. Historically, childcare policies were in stark contrast between East and West Germany. In the German Democratic Republic, a socialist work ethos meant that many more women worked than in West Germany, and that meant there were many more childcare spots, a legacy that is still visible today. While the West still lags behind the East when it comes to providing spots, the former is more likely to focus on quality of education. Throughout the country, left-leaning states are likelier to invest more in childcare. But, across the country, cost is a diminishing concern for parents. The absence of for-profit providers puts the affordability issue on another scale, says Ludovica Gambaro, a senior researcher at the University of Tübingen. Even when it's expensive, you still have waivers for families with low incomes. Fees never reach the level of Toronto, especially for babies and toddlers. Two models in particular have been lauded for going above and beyond federal requirements and providing free or low-cost childcare, those in the states of Berlin and Hamburg. And while both have greatly expanded access and contributed to more women in the workforce, they also hold lessons about the new problems that crop up amid rapid growth. In an industrial-looking block, in Hamburg's central district of Altona, the windows into one unit break up the drudgery. Large, teardrop-shaped cardboard cutouts in every imaginable color hang from the ceiling in one room. Streamers and a mini ball pit liven another. During the day, you can spot tiny people in the tiny chairs that fill the main room. The building houses one of six Apoidea daycare centers, a mid-sized daycare chain in the city. This branch caters to children in two groups, one for those under three on the ground floor and another for kids three to six upstairs. The center has an atelier for kids to draw and paint, even on the walls if they feel like it, a room for music, one for movement, another full of costumes to play dress-up, one with endless boxes of beads, pasta shapes, and the like for crafts, and a room full of plush cushions and rugs for rest. Biologists, Artists and musicians are frequent guests, talking about the importance of ecosystems or showcasing an exciting painting technique for the kids to try. Amid all this, child care staff are seen as guides, 
with kids themselves deciding what interests they want to follow day to day. The center is guided by the Reggio Emilia philosophy, a northern Italian approach that puts children at the center of their learning. Once they are old enough to choose, kids attend morning circles where they decide what they want to do for set periods of time. Art and music are particularly important forms of expression for children who aren't talking yet, says Frederick Siebeneichner, the pedagogical manager of six daycare centers under the Apoidea umbrella. While this might sound like an expensive boutique daycare center, it's one of the 1,133 state-funded facilities in Hamburg. Germany's second-largest city provides five hours of free child care to residents with children over the age of one every day, regardless of whether they work. Depending on their incomes and working hours, parents can receive a voucher for more hours. An application has to be made between three and six months before a child needs a spot, and it is valid for a year. Parents update their employment and income statuses annually with the city-state, which can change their entitlements. Hamburg has increased funding massively to meet demand, spending 8,232 euros, $11,845, for every child under six in 2018, an increase of 3,000 euros, $4,304, from 2012. Over the last 10 years, the number of spots for children under three has more than doubled, from 12,393 to 28,429. This support for parents was a major factor in Canadian Olivia Schultz's decision to stay in Germany when she found out she was pregnant in 2017. She had moved to Hamburg from Toronto with her husband the previous year, and she started talking to her sister back in Canada about her experience returning to work after having a child. Schultz heard firsthand the childcare struggle her sister had gone through in a small city in Ontario, the cost of daycare prompting longer hours at work to afford it the exhaustion that came along with that, and how it stole time away from being able to parent her child. Hearing all that, Schultz says, I have to admit I was compelled to stay here. To be able to afford daycare in Toronto, Schultz knows she would have had to go back to a demanding job in sales. I'd be missing out on time with my child, just to earn enough money to break even at the end of the month. In Hamburg, she was able to quit her sales job and use the time to figure out what was next for her career, something that would let her spend more time at home and flex her creative muscles. Her daughter, Mila, is now in a Kinderladen, a parent-run daycare in Hamburg. Childcare staff are there to support kids, but parents make the decisions about how it's run at monthly meetings, prepare organic, sugar-free meals for the kids, and even rotate doing deep cleans of the center. It's reassuring, and it gives you a sense of control, which I think is one of the scariest things when you're sending a little human out into the world for other adults to take care of them when they can't communicate very well, says Schultz. This was particularly important to Schultz after her first experience enrolling Mila at a chain daycare when she was 14 months old in early 2019. Schultz quickly realized the center was understaffed. At pickup, she noticed that staff were often filling out paperwork rather than spending time with children and she wasn't getting much information about how Mila's day had gone. Schultz was a bit bewildered. Mila couldn't talk yet, and Schultz had no way of knowing whether she had eaten or slept. Most of the time I picked her up, she had purple eyes, says Schultz. She was so tired. She just looked like a mess. 
One key factor limiting the growth of daycare centers across the country, and an important issue for Canada to anticipate, is a shortage of qualified child care staff. Early childhood educators are some of the most sought-after workers in Germany, with staffing shortages across the country. A recent study by trade union Vereinte Dienstleistungsgewerkschaft and Fulda University estimated that Hamburg is lacking about 4,000 childcare workers, an average of 3.5 employees per facility. In a German Institute for Economic Research report based on national survey data, 8 of 10 childcare workers said that they were stressed because their pay was inadequate and they were less satisfied with their jobs than elementary school teachers were. Sieben Eichner at the Apple Idea Center recognizes that it's a tough job that demands a lot from staff. Pedagogical knowledge, emotional intelligence, patience when dealing with demanding parents. There are a variety of routes to qualify, from two-year vocational diplomas to bachelor's degrees. And the high demand in the labor market means people landing in these jobs are not often prepared. Siebeneichner has employees who don't have the grammar skills necessary to write coherent development reports for parents. And the lack of staff often means there is no time during the day to step away to perform administrative tasks, leaving childcare workers overworked and overwhelmed. Child-to-staff ratios are a key indicator of quality, says Bach Famula from the Bertelsmann Foundation, which recommends a ratio of one worker per three children, three and under. In a research project conducting interviews with child care workers across the country, Bach Famula heard repeatedly that there is no time, no possibility, for child care staff to provide individual support to children. That's exactly what Schultz was concerned about. I mostly spent the time sitting at home worrying about how she was, she says. When Mila had a huge bump on the back of her head after being pushed by another child, and staff advised Schultz to take her to a hospital at pickup without having called Schultz during the day immediately after the incident happened, Schultz was done. Luckily, she wasn't working at the time and was able to stay home with Mila for another year. But it was wearing. She had suffered postpartum depression, and being far from her family was a further strain. A year after she pulled Mila from daycare, she started to research other types of care. Schultz found a spot at a Tagesmutter, a small daycare run out of someone's home that was also covered by the state government. The hours were more flexible than those of the larger daycare center, and Mila was happier there. At drop-off, she would jump into her caregiver's arms, says Schultz. There was a deeper connection. That gave Schultz the opportunity to find balance again. And after Mila aged out of the Tagesmutter, Schultz found the Kinderladen. Choice in type of provider, not just in the size of a center but also in its pedagogical approach, is a hallmark of the German childcare system. Having options for what kind of care she could access with her public subsidy was huge for Schultz. She can't imagine ever going back to a mainstream center with her second child, due later this year. The city-state of Berlin is at the vanguard of childcare in Germany. In 2007, it made the decision to phase out fees entirely and become the first German state to provide free daycare for all children under six. This involved getting rid of a complex system that determined what rates parents would pay based on their incomes, to a maximum of about 400 euros, $574, per child monthly. The move to a universally applied voucher now leaves parents with just a monthly 23 euro 
$33, bill for food. Since 2012, the state reports that 68,700 spots have been created, at a cost of 448 million euros, $642 million. Daycare centers include larger childcare centers and smaller facilities like parent-run Kinderladen. Since the state doesn't run most centers itself, the model provides not-for-profit facilities with funding per child enrolled. Childcare providers receive about 1,300 euros, $1,865 per month, for each full-time spot for children under three. The rapid expansion of publicly funded spots has been met with rapid uptake. While the population of Berlin increased by about 10% between 2011 and 2020, the number of kids under three grew by 19% in that time, and the number of kids in childcare grew by 29%. The city attributes this both to increased uptake and to new families moving to Berlin, partly because of the policy change. In theory, to access the system, parents fill out paperwork to demonstrate their eligibility, and then they apply to one of 2,663 state-funded facilities for a spot. In practice, it's a bit more complicated. When Sandra Sperber was pregnant, she started to pop into daycare centers near her home in the Berlin district of Pankow. Friends had warned her that finding a spot could be difficult. She'd have to put herself on four or five lists, but that she'd definitely find one in the end. Sperber had her daughter in May 2017, which meant that when her daughter was ready to go to daycare at age one, she was entering her into daycare the first year that all state-funded childcare spots in Berlin were free of charge. It changed the demand, says Sperber. That was the first year when people really started to struggle. In Sperber's case, one of the centers she approached was clear that there was no chance she'd secure a spot by May. And she wasn't alone. That same month, a group of parents and educational workers led a 3,500-strong protest calling for more spaces, among other demands. High interest in spots means parents often have to wait until August for places to open up, since that's when children graduate from one daycare group, under three, to the next, three to six. Sperber's daughter had turned one in May, and she had already gone back to full-time work as a journalist after seven months of parental leave. Her husband had taken over as their daughter's primary caregiver, but it was time for him to go back to work. In the end, Sperber cut her hours at work to 30% and enlisted support from her in-laws who made the four-hour journey from the central German city of Kassel every other week to help out. It was super frustrating because up until that time, I thought it's possible to have a career and have a baby, says Sperber. And it put pressure on her relationship with her husband as they discussed who would stay home. His colleagues were waiting for him to come back and it's harder for a father to say, well, I can't come, I have to take care of the kids. So I did it, and that was also really frustrating. In her view, free daycare lifted a huge burden off parents in terms of the cost of having a child, but the lack of planning around how quickly demand would grow left some parents in a worse position. While two-thirds of children between one and three in the city were enrolled in child care in 2020, the Berlin Senate is aiming to create 26,000 more places to address shortages by 2026. Existing child-to-staff ratios need improvement, according to the Bertelsmann Report, which found that 94% of childcare facilities in Berlin for kids under three do not meet the recommended one-worker-to-three-children ratio. 
Every day we receive applications for places. Every day families make inquiries, and unfortunately we are unable to meet these requests, writes Stefan Spieker, CEO of daycare provider Fröbel, which manages the largest daycare network in Germany, in an email. Most of our center's managers stopped working with waiting lists since several of them have experienced up to a thousand registrations on the list. The state is working on expanding spaces by providing both capital and staff funding. It's just not happening quickly enough for some parents. And it's an issue felt across the country, as there is a shortage of over 342,000 spots in Germany. For Sperber, this is where parents like her could contribute. While she sees the advantage of free daycare and is grateful to benefit from it, she believes that if all parents don't have access to a spot, a free model isn't equitable. Many parents who don't get a spot, they paid for my daycare spot with their taxpayer money. Parents like her can enlist the help of family, afford to pay a babysitter when they can't find care, or take time off to find a spot. And she realizes that compared to newcomers in particular, her language and cultural proficiency means she's able to navigate a complex system with relative ease. Gambaro, the University of Tübingen researcher, hypothesizes that the administrative burden is underestimated in the research on childcare barriers, especially for non-German speakers. The complex process of filling out paperwork, applying to several facilities, or even going to the youth office for assistance can be overwhelming. We know from normal life that it's hard to wash your hair if you have a toddler at home, she says. I sometimes would like to make a video when I'm running around those bureaucratic offices. Immigrants access daycare at much lower rates. 21% of immigrant children under 3 versus 43% countrywide, which can put children's German language skills behind when they start school. Gambaro's research has shown that when refugee women have children in care, they feel more integrated, have better language outcomes, and are more optimistic about joining the workforce. Sperber would like to see those who really need free daycare get it first, rather than those who are able to navigate the system well enough to snag a spot. And she would be happy to pay to help that happen. I would always argue for better education reform instead of making daycare free. The German experience shows that investment in childcare can result in a remarkable reorientation of society transforming its commitment to parents by shifting childcare from an individual responsibility to a social one. It has paid off in terms of women's participation in the workforce, helped improve OECD educational rankings, and contributed to an increased birth rate. Combined with parental leave policies, it has also helped redistribute responsibilities between mothers and fathers more equitably, and it has likely improved the quality of life families have access to. There remain investments to be made at all levels of government to expand both the number of spots and the quality of care provided, including capital investments for new daycare centers, more training opportunities for future childcare staff, and better access for marginalized groups like newcomers. A one-time, multi-billion euro investment from the federal government simply wasn't enough. Steady support is what keeps the system afloat. For Bach Famula, one of the most interesting outcomes of Germany's childcare revolution is the shift from being called a Rabenmutter for putting your child in daycare to the belief that being in a childcare center is best, even for those as young as one. It's seen as better for a child's development and has normalized mothers going back to work when they want. 
it changed within 20 years from one end to the other, she says. While that revolution opened up more choice for mothers in particular, the interplay with other policies made one previously available option less attractive, staying home with your child beyond one year. Parents received parental leave support for three years before this change, but now parental leave is one year, meaning that when choosing to stay home beyond then, parents must take unpaid time. This cultural change in believing that childcare is the best option, coupled with policy changes like reducing parental leave benefits, means there's pressure to put your child in care rather than childcare being one more option available to parents, says Bach Famila. It's a perspective that Canadian governments may find useful to bear in mind as they develop their own plans for expanding care. For Bach Famila, the ideal to strive for is giving parents more choice. It has to be the decision of the family how they care for their child. That was an article titled Child Care for All by Sadia Ansari. I'm Paul Berry. You've been listening to Voices of the Walrus on AMI-audio. Produced by Don Dickinson. Audio engineering by Jacob Shymansky and Bill Shackleton. The manager of AMI-audio is Andy Frank, and I'm your host, Roger Ashby. If you enjoyed this podcast, please consider giving us a rating and review, and subscribe for more. Join us weekly for The Pulse with host Joita Gupta, who brings us closer to issues impacting the disability community across Canada. Watch The Pulse on YouTube or listen wherever you download your AMI podcasts.